0: Hello, and welcome to another podcast of Redemption Tempe. My name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. And today I'm once again joined uh, by my co-host, AC. What's up, man? What's good? Hey, we are going through this Jonah series, uh, moving right along, getting, we're about halfway through right now. Um, Today we're looking at chapter three. Is that right? Yes, sir. Got some more stories. Tell us a little bit more about chapter three and then how that's tying into our podcast stories today. So
1: in Jonah three, we see that Jonah has finally submitted to God's call after his his initial rebellion. And now he is in Nineveh, the city that he despises because of the wicked ways they have treated his people and others. And yet God is here through Jonah extending grace even to the Ninevites. And so when you hear the word Ninevites, that doesn't really rough, ruffle any feathers. Uh, here, but you know, think of the the most vile people groups you can think of. For us, it's usually like the Nazis in the Nazi regime in, in, in Germany. So even to them, God extends grace. So that's sort of like the emotional space that Jonah is in. And so when we're the stories that we're going to hear today are how God has ex, has extended grace uh, even to us. And not, I'm not saying that the people you're going to listen to are like Ninevites or anything close to Ninevites. Nothing like that. But just the idea that you know, if God is going to show grace even to the Ninevites. He's showing grace to us. And what are those stories that God is is doing? And that's what we're going to hear today.
2: Great.
0: Let's hear them.
3: Hi there, I'm Ashley, and I'm here today because one of the leaders from my ID group said, hey, I think it's uh, going to be a cool opportunity for you to go ahead and share your story. So I was kind of volunteered a little bit, but um, <laughs> it made me laugh because I think, uh, her name is Lori Green, Lori kept hearing me come to small group and share some God stories that have been happening in my life lately, and it's been so exciting to um, experience God's love and mercy and grace in my life life again because for a long time, um, I didn't feel connected to the Lord. Um, I grew up in church and I decided at a young age that I wanted to know Jesus and I got saved at nine years old and not much long after that, I got baptized and I was one of those kids that uh, just loved being in church and loved Jesus. And I was one of those teenagers that felt like I needed to be perfect and an overachiever. I was homecoming queen. I was on the honor roll. I was a top athlete in my city and I got scholarship to play sports in college. So I tried to do everything right and perfect. And I thought that that was the way that I could please the Lord and Jesus. I knew that he would forgive me of my sins. But I think at a young age, I figured out how maybe to feel bad or guilty or shame about some of the choices that I made or sins. But that I just wanted to be perfect so that I didn't have to feel those feelings. Well, college comes, and here I am, a overachiever, perfectionist, athlete, a student, and I go to college that was not necessarily a Christian college, and I don't know if I was really equipped to deal with everything that was coming at me. And I definitely got into some very, very sinful behaviors, relationships, and really felt the weight of sin in my life. And then I think for the first time, I really realized I struggle with depression. And anxiety. I don't know what to do with this. So I end up getting through some really difficult college years, m- just messy times in my life, feeling very hopeless, feeling that maybe I just didn't want to live anymore. And feeling like God was so far away from me. Um, I made it through and graduated. And oddly enough, you know, I, I went into social work as my major. So I graduated with my social work degree and had an opportunity to go to Miami, Florida. So I went to Miami and pursued my master's degree and didn't really know how to deal with these feelings of shame and perfectionism and guilt and being a Christian. Um, I had gone away from the church for a while but when I moved back to Miami i felt like i needed to go back to church again Um, i decided that i didn't want my feelings of guilt shame and depression to keep me away from my faith because i felt like my faith was really important and connecting to jesus was very important so i decided to start going back again and it was difficult for me because again i felt this heavy layer of shame and guilt i made it through and graduated with my master's in social work and i started to work with kids and i was very active in church i was able to grow And connect into a church body and a church community just was really thriving in that community I met a man that I thought God said was gonna be my husband and turns out he was and I still struggled with a lot of guilt and depression and shame and I didn't know how that would work out in marriage but I went full in and said okay Lord I think this is my husband who you have for me well I got into marriage and decided that I wanted to go to therapy because I had struggled so much Um, with my own feelings of shame and guilt and depression that I thought, well, I don't want my husband to deal with that because I'm supposed to be a good Christian wife, so I don't want him to have to deal with those things in me. So through therapy, my therapist at the time would say, yeah, you know, you have some of these things going, but you also are married to somebody that is pretty critical of you. And I wanted to uh, kind of buffer that or try to control that and say, yeah, he might be pretty pretty critical of me, but look how, how I'm acting or look at my behavior and look how bad I am. And she would say, Yeah, but you're really not seeing it through an accurate lens that he's got his own sin that he's bringing into marriage, and you're really focused on your sin, and you are excluding that he is adding or contributing to this. And she started talking to me about something called codependency and codependence. So, I started to look some of that up and look into that, but at the end of the day, that was really uncomfortable for me to look into what does codependency look like and how to deal with that. And I felt like, well, if I just pray enough or if I just read my Bible enough or go to church enough, this stuff in my marriage will go away, this stuff in me will go away. God, change my husband, change him, change me, and I look the other way. I just kept going, kept trying to perform, kept doing the things that I thought I needed to do to be a part of a church in a Christian community and to hide that shame and guilt that I felt. Well, years went into our marriage and it got pretty dysfunctional and there was some very horrific things that happened in our marriage, a lot of trauma that I won't get into, but it pretty much resulted in us separating and it was the most... Um, messy time of my life because those sins that I was engaging in in college, I took those right back on again and really got to the point where I started having panic attacks and I started to get really anxious and depressed. And I thought I was really losing it. I thought I was off the rails because here I am, this Christian woman who's supposed to be honoring God. And I am in this marriage that is out of control and I am resulting back to my old sin patterns again. And I felt hopeless and the shame just started piling on because what I started to realize is that Guilt is something that we do as a behavior, but shame is something we take on as an identity. And I was taking that shame on as who I was, as all the bad things I had done and all the sin in my life as who I was. And that, yes, I had heard in church, you have to make God your identity. But I didn't even know what that practically looked like. All I know is that I was covered in sin and shame. And I was so angry at God that I didn't want to trust him again because I had thought I got my life together for a little bit. But this one little area, I thought, well, I'll figure it out and I'll work it out. Well, it wasn't. It was getting worse and worse and worse. Well, fast forward a few more years later, um, we had been separated. We decided we were going to try to get back together again. Um, We were going to move to another state for his job. And we get there. And I decided I was going to go to a conference in Arizona for a week long conference on codependence. And it felt like Jesus was saying, you're not crazy. You're not messed up you're okay, I love you, and yes, you struggle, but this is uh, this is something you struggle with and maybe some patterns you have in your life, but this isn't who you really are. And I felt like God was opening my eyes and helping me see that my shame identity is not who I am and that he was gonna start giving me some tools to figure out how to manage the shame and deal with the shame. So after this uh, experience here in Arizona, I reflected on how amazing it was, it, it felt, to be here, and I even had brought some cactus back to remind me of what God did in that time for me to remind me who I really was that I'm loved that I'm his child that I'm messy but that he's got something for me and that I can rest in him and start to connect to him in a different way than I'd ever been able to before because of the shame and this codependence type behaviors so I got back and said okay God I'm going to give this an all-in with my husband let's see if we can make this happen but um A year into that, it was very clear that things were not gonna change. And so it became clear that our situation wasn't gonna work out. We ended up getting a divorce. And I understand why God hates divorce when people say that. It's not because God hates us. I think it's really because God hates how much we hurt. And I was so hurting and going through that divorce, was even more painful after years of dealing with this really difficult marriage. And then uh, the hurt and pain of divorce, I just thought, God, is there any more tears that could really come out of my eyes anymore? I don't even know if I can cry anymore. Like this has been terrible and painful for me and that this pain just seems so overwhelming. And my friends who had known me for years knew like, Ashley just does not seem like she's okay, but they also started to hear my stories. They started to share the truth because what shame wants to do is keep you, to keep everything a secret, to keep everything silenced and for you to judge yourself. And so when you have those three in combination, the shame is gonna thrive. And when you decide to start talking outwardly and open about what's really going on and you experience empathy and true love, that shame cannot stand anymore. And so as I started to reach out for help and I started to connect with The church again and people in church and my christian friends i started to be really open and stop hiding in secrecy around what was going on in my life and to share it and when people would meet me with love i think that was jesus's way of saying hey i love you i got you let's remove the shame from your situation because i have a lot more for you So in my story, I look back at a time when I was in Miami and I had met some really good uh, friends and they were Reba and Travis Shank and they attend here at Redemption Tempe. And they've known my whole life and my whole story from uh, Miami when I was in graduate school and they knew my husband at the time and they've seen me kind of walk this messy story out and have been with me through some really difficult times. Well, a couple years ago, they got placed here in Phoenix and they started to go to Redemption Tempe. And I got to come and visit them a few times and each time I would visit, I would come to Redemption Tempe with them and it would kind of open my heart to hope again because I still wasn't really connected to a church. I was still kind of floundering with getting connected to a community because I had been so hurt before and it was so difficult to be a divorced person and enter back into the church again. And so two years ago, I won a trip. I was actually on a show and the trip uh, sent me to Tucson. So last year I brought my mom to Tucson and we went to a resort together. And I said, mom, look at all this stuff. I think God wants me to move here and my mom would say, no, 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 you don't want to move to Arizona. Look how terrible it is. It doesn't look pretty at all. And it was our joke. And I said, mom, I think God's drawing me here. And she said, well, we'll pray for you for that. And then I decided to keep praying and keep looking for possibilities. And God kept sending, Like I'd be driving down the road and there would be a Phoenix on the back of a truck, like really random things like that. And I'm like, I'm not crazy. And I would call Reba and Travis and say, guys, I'm not crazy, but I think God wants me to come to Phoenix, and they would laugh with all these stories of where I'd see cactuses or Arizona license plates or pictures of phoenixes. I was in a dressing room in a secular setting in the mall, and in there, there was a cactus picture in the dressing room with a Bible verse on it, and it talked about basically how God has plans for me and I'm not one of those weird people that looks all for the symbols and signs but it was becoming pretty evident and clear that maybe I should start to apply for jobs so I started to apply for jobs and I got a really amazing job out here and so I've only been here in Arizona for three months but the awesome part about that is that God is continuing to reveal himself to me and his mercy because I don't feel like I deserve that grace and that mercy because of all the things that I've done and the ways that I've acted out in my sin but then when I look at moving the shame from my situation then i can see clearly that god does have a plan for me that he does have a purpose for me here and interestingly enough the job i have is helping people manage chronic pain emotionally and physically and you know i was working hospice before this and i was dealing with a lot of death and dying and i think i was dealing with a lot of death and dying in my my own life or the death of my marriage and the death of my old identity, that 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 shame is not who I am, that God has a new identity for me and being able to live and walk that out in newness, but also being able to understand and be in the depths of other people's pain and helping them work that out because God is connecting the truth to me and I can help other people talk about their pain and understand with them on their journey. And so God's using that all for his good. I didn't quite understand why. So I'm not fully, you know, 100%. My story's great and I know everything that God's going to do and I have this testimony and I have overcome because the truth is I'm still working this stuff out. The truth is it's still messy. The truth is I'm reading a lot and getting some tools in my toolbox to figure out what are those patterns that I have lived in before and how can I break those patterns? How can I live differently? I feel so blessed to be able to be here and have this opportunity to grow and mature. And I think that that's what we're called to do is to grow and mature, and to rely on Him. And that when we get stuck in those things, that we reach out and get connected to a community. I realize that shame can really thrive if I'm isolating. But when I'm connecting to the community of Christ, and I'm open, and I'm willing to share my messiness and my story, God meets me every time with people that love on me and also show me and direct me to God's love and truth. And that is what helps me to sustain. That's what helps me to move forward is his truth and being connected to a community of people that that want his truth in their lives and that want to make breakthrough and have breakthrough in their life and closeness and connectedness. So that's my story. That's where I'm at
0: so we are the Brenays. i am ron Brene and this is my wife sarah Brene. we have a daughter who is three and a half uh, georgia Brene. and we have been going to uh, redemption now for eight years the story that we are going to be uh, telling today uh, god is definitely the definitely the main character of this story and it's going to be a story about how we met our daughter and how that all happened. Uh, Sarah, do you want to kind of tell everybody what it is that you do for work and how you met Megan?
4: So I have worked at Starbucks for the last, it's almost 11 years. and Ron and I knew before we even got married that we wanted a family. Um, We wanted two or three kids, and we started trying to do that right after we got married. Uh, But we found out that it probably would not happen for us, and uh, that took a long time to get to that point. It was really, really hard. Uh, But through all of that, I became close with one of my coworkers, her name is Megan. We worked at the same store then and there was a day where we were at the pool together and she said, you know, I don't ever want to be a mom, but I can see how badly you do. And if I were to ever get pregnant, then I would consider you and Ron as the parents. And that was it. That was just the conversation that we had. And we would talk about it once in a while after that, but it's not really something that you expect for someone to actually follow through with.
0: I remember when Sarah first told me what Megan said. And I remember, I remember how I felt in that moment because our family, our close friends, even our church community, our, you know, RC, they, we were open about the difficulties that we were having. And when I heard what Megan said, I genuinely felt like that's a very kind thing to say. That's, 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 I don't know how else to say it. It was a crazy kind of thing to say. Um, but I kind of felt like that's all that it was, is she's she's she feels incredibly bad for us but there is no way in the world that anyone let alone a non-believer would ever do something like that for us that's how i genuinely felt as sarah told me that that's what that's what megan wanted to do for our family so there was a lot of really difficult hard nights of crying and being upset over the fact that we couldn't have kids, we wanted to have a family, and we even for a while pursued, um, you know, adoption and even foster care. And it just, it always felt, I don't know how else to say this, and I'm just being true, is it always kind of felt like second best to the idea of having our own kids. And so, like a plan B.
4: Yeah, so it was... Christmas Eve day of 2014, I was at work, and at this point, uh, Megan and I weren't working together. She'd transferred to another store, um, but we were still close. We still talked pretty frequently. Um, I just got a text message from her at work, and it was a picture of a positive pregnancy test, and she said, we need to sit down and talk, and... I couldn't stop shaking, I was so excited and scared. Um, so that night I told Ron and he did not believe it. He didn't believe that she would even want to really sit down and have the conversation that we had talked about years ago, um, but we did. And from the very moment we had that first conversation, she was just maybe six or seven weeks pregnant at that point, she said that the baby was ours, like. That's who she was carrying. She was carrying our baby.
0: So in those moments and over really the entire pregnancy, what what was revealed to me is that God's grace is not something that is stuck inside of a church building. It's not stuck inside of our congregation. It's not only there. And what God showed to me is that grace is extended in ways that I, I never could ever imagine. That it was... S- God is so much bigger than a church or our redemption community that his love extends way past that. And through that grace, something that I can never, I can never earn or I can never, um, through any kind of work that I do get, something was given to us that was beyond all imagination. And that is our daughter.
4: So we still are close with Megan. Um, We actually just went and got pedicures with her and her mom. Uh, Not Ron, Georgia and I, (laughs) with Megan and her mom. I would have gone. I would do it. Um, but we've gone to the beach with them the last two summers. Um, We are really, really close still, and she and Georgia have a a relationship that's different than anybody else that she has a relationship with. She's starting to understand that she grew in her tummy, Um, but she kind of just treats her like a cool aunt, and Megan gets to do fun things with her, and then, If something gross happens i get to take over because i'm her mom
0: (laughs) and that was important to us is and it's it's such a it's such a difficult thing well let me say it like this you think it's difficult to figure out when it all is happening but then what you realize is because of what has happened that you're not really in control and by letting that go and just saying hey we we just wanna love and that's all that's it. That's where it begins, that's where it ends. So we try to be as honest and open about what happened, and we try to extend that same love to Megan's family and anybody that wants to be a part of George's life, who are we to say that they can't? And so that's been um, really a change in in our own hearts and posture because prior to Georgia we kind of thought like the idea of closed adoption and I'm not sure if we would ever want them to know like those are the types of things that you were thinking about when it, when this happens there is a change of heart that you go oh okay it's important to be open and show that love
4: every kid needs to have as many people rooting for them and loving them as possible and Megan wants to be there and her mom wants to be there and other family members. So we would never deny her that extra love that she needs to grow and thrive and flourish.
0: So, yeah, so God is the, God is definitely the main character of this story because it was just so big that we couldn't, we could never, we could never pull this off. It was bigger than anything that we could ever imagine. And so it is completely, Uh,
2: change our lives, Um, absolutely. So my name is Russ, and I have been attending Redemption Tempe with my family for a little over three years. And I am an educator. Uh, I am a political scientist by training, but I teach others about the government at the high school and the college level. I'm a native of Arizona, and this is my story. So raised, grew up in the Phoenix area, around church, have an understanding of religion as a thing you do. At 19, I have a radical conversion to Christianity. Everything is going great. Me and Jesus are best friends. Love the Lord, growing a lot. Fast forward into my early 30s. I'm married. I have a little boy and I end up finding out that I have a rare soft tissue cancer. After having failed uh, to have it surgically removed successfully. And I spend this space where I think I am maybe not going to live, and then I live. And now I have to live with the tension of my mortality. So people would think that God showed grace to me by rescuing me from a physical uh, ailment or a physical uh, calamity in my life, but the story is much more complicated. And such is the love of God; it is uh, it is often not uh, as it seems when you first see the actors. So I need to back up a little bit and talk about the years preceding me finding outfit I had been growing rare tumors. So I meet Jesus at nineteen. It's a radical conversion. I had no intention. I was there to be entertained and to scam this girl to come back together with me. I heard the gospel instead. And I start to grow and I I start to experience the community of God and fellowship of the saints. I get to experience uh, the Holy Spirit and his ministry in my life through the Word of God. And I read a lot of books. And I find myself in a context where all of the spiritual disciplines that you engage in weren't working and I had no spiritual traction. It was like I was stuck in mud and my spiritual wheels were spinning. And part of that, I think, was due to my own sin, like active sins, things that I was was doing that were were uh wrong. And I think part of it was about a disposition in my heart that uh wanted to be righteous uh based on my own holiness, but I had smuggled it into really socially acceptable, spiritually uh benign Christian uh spaces. So no one was going to say, Oh, you're you're actually uh self-righteous. It's like, oh well look at look at how serious he is about his faith and look at how uh serious he is about pursuing Jesus when in fact I was creating space between myself and the Lord and I didn't know I was doing doing that until things didn't work. So these systems I had built to meet Jesus intellectually failed me. There was this dislocation between my heart and what I believed, and I fell into a intense, prolonged spiritual depression of about two and a half years. Now, part of that was due to me growing weary and wanting to pursue things uh, that I shouldn't have pursued. Some of this was in regards to the company I was keeping. Th- uh, theologically in the churches I was attending, where some of these behaviors were being rewarded and uh, encouraged. Additionally, I found myself in this space where if if I was going to engage spiritually, there was a potential that I wasn't going to experience the expected outcomes, which was communion with God in some format. So I was faced with this really awful choice of, do I engage with Jesus and then have him let me down by not showing up in the ways and means by which I would want him to, or do I just not engage spiritually? So I, 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 Chose often to disengage, which made it worse. So all that to say, I'm going through this period where I am I am behaving very poorly, and I'm doing things that I should not be doing. Hard attitudes, dispositions, uh, behaviors, and I and I would claim to be a Christian during this stretch, but there wasn't a lot of interest or love, and my heart had grown very cold, and there was some space and some distance. And I remember feeling like Jesus uh, was all oiled up, and I couldn't get a hold of him. So I come to the end of that and I'm starting to come out of it. And I have this this stretch where it's like, well, I hate the church and I hate Jesus. And I don't know if I want to believe in either one. And I don't want to be around these people. And then it was like, well, the church sucks, but I'm okay with Jesus. And it's like, you know, the church is okay, but, but, you know, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And then I just got really tired. My sin wore me out and it was like, okay, I'm miserable. I love uh, the idea of maybe like being a Christian, but I certainly like don't want to share a room with Jesus. And he better stand his line, his side of the line, because I'm not I'm not interested in necessarily obeying him. I'm just exhausted, right? So I, I find I find some space uh, within the body of Christ where I can heal a little bit. And I get to this place where I'm okay saying that I will do things that Christ wants me to do when they are inconvenient. Because that was that was kind of a bottom. I was like, I think I love Jesus, but I'm not sure I love him enough to do what he says when it's hard. And I remember saying that out loud in a small group situation with men that love me. And that was in December. And in January, I found a mass in my right thigh. And the cancer is not the thing that god saved me from primarily what god saved me from and showed me grace in was in saving me from myself so he allowed me a stretch where all of the systems that i had built failed me and he allowed me to an opportunity to sit in that space and to experience the futility of all the other options that I could pursue, uh, options that the world had presented, options that uh, the, the uh, kind of spiritual community had presented. You can be really, really, really um, righteous in the eyes of those around you and be miles away from Jesus. And you can be really, really, really uh, messy and be at the heart of what Christ is doing. And there is a hugely dangerous spiritual blindness that I think we have in religious communities because we think that God does not want to abide our sin for the entirety of our Christian life. There's this mythology that sanctification is a straight line. Uh, that's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Uh, You are in a space where your heart will disorder its love's gift given the chance. And the thing that makes Christ so incredible is that he is always seeking to order our loves in such a way that we might find satisfaction in him and the good gifts he gives us. So I am going through this battle with uncertainty and with cancer. And I had these moments of complete desperate conversation with God because all of the uh, crutches had been kicked out from underneath my life. I knew that the world was not going to give me any kind of solace. And I was confronted with my mortality. What I found was the one person in the world that was willing to dialogue with me honestly about my mortality was God. And I remember having a laundry list of things that I wanted, wanted to be healed, I wanted to be uh, comfortable, I wanted to be allowed to see my, my boys grow up. And I remember consistently being challenged by God in these moments of desperation that I called it I'm going to dies, where I am just hopeless. I'm in a space where the uh, reality of the, the curse of the fall is all I can see and I remember praying things like, I'm going to die and you don't care. And this is nonsense. And the Lord just being like, oh, like do you love me? Like, so what? You're going to die. Like, do you love me? So I had to surrender in a sense even more completely because to, up until that point, I think that I had wanted to have have God over a barrel in a certain sense where I was able to call the shots and have control. And what being confronted with something in your body that's trying to kill you is that you're not in control. And I'm so grateful because what the Lord has done in writing the story of a world and then allowing me to be a bit player in that is he he—he writes a better story than I can. So what, what I'm often confessing these days is the notion that when I sin, I'm looking at the story God has written for me and I'm saying, I find it insufficient. What you have written is not good enough for me because I'm not this or that or I don't have these things or I'm not of this stature or this standing with this group of people. And when you act like that, you you can remove yourself from the opportunity to participate in where the kingdom of God is breaking through in this age because you are so concerned about yourself. Like this world is not some indie flick about you and all of your quirks and idiosyncrasies. Uh, that's, that's something that Indy Wilson says in, in a book that he wrote. Uh, if we were to watch ourselves, we probably wouldn't like the characters that we are. Uh, like I'm not the main character in this thing. What, 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 what I am is I am another example of a uh, God who cares about a Bedouin tribe in the desert, redeeming all things for himself and then remaking the world for the benefit of those who would believe. So uh, all I can do when that is presented to me is say thank you. So the way my, my life works now is I attempt to be present in the moments the Lord has given me and to see them as a gift and a wonder. Uh, it is so idolatrous and wrong of us to live in the past in our failures because we're making comments about what the blood of Christ can and cannot accomplish that are not true or what I often do is I live in the future and I think about my mortality the fact that I had a surgery so the thing in my biology that caused this cancer systemically is probably still present and that switch biologically could flip whenever it wants and I wouldn't know and while I do scans every you know six or so months like that's that's a, that's a pretty nice head start for a tumor and I have to just be okay with the fact that the moment I am in is the one that the word has authored so I can do one of two things I can deny what Christ is trying to accomplish in my life and moment and miss out on opportunities to see my neighbor and to love them and to receive the, uh, the blessing of the Holy Spirit that comes through the participation in the work of Christ. Or I can get on board and see that seeking first the kingdom of God comes with the reality that God will add all of these things onto me. So I have anxieties and worries, big and small, and Christ knows them. And he tells me to come to him and talk to him about it. So I do. I have very honest dialogue with the Lord. I think the best place to start for those of us that are in spaces of waiting is to believe that god is for us enough to speak to him about the things in our life and to do so honestly he's not afraid of our dispositions he knows already so cleaning yourself up before you go to pray is ridiculous what we as christians get to do is we get to take our brokenness to christ and in meeting him, he not only straightens our brokenness, but then allows us to enter the world as agents of reconciliation and restoration. Um, The physicality of a resurrection is so incredibly important. And I think that for those of us that are like botched in some way, which is all of us, we are in this space of waiting. So I get to wait for Christ to create a space where there is no crazy tumors that grow, and while I wait, I get to be creative about finding ways to bring that type of reality to others in whatever way I can. So that's the partnership of the in-between time. Christ has kept a promise on the cross so we can trust him about the promise he has made about his, his future coming. Um, The grace of God in all of this is that he cares enough to disrupt our lives in such a way that we are able to be interrupted by him. Uh, None of us would have written a story like the one I went through, which is, hey, guess what? You're going to have two and a half years of really hard spiritual depression, and then you're going to get cancer so that God can show you that he's the only thing that matters in the world. Like No one wants those chapters. But I would argue that I have been given my my faith back, and my wife would say that she was given her husband back uh, from something as evil and dark and menacing as cancer. So I don't ever want to have cancer again. I don't wish to experience that, but I am grateful in the sense that the Lord used it as an interruption and a focusing point in my life. But I also can't wait for him to declare the evil that is cancer no more.
0: Man, every week, I just love hearing stories uh, of how God works in people's lives. And and those are really awesome stories. Thanks for helping uh, get those rounded up today, AC. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. And uh, join us again next week as we continue in the series of Jonah.
1: Thank you for listening to the Redemption Tempe podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Our vision is to create disciples who seek reconciliation and restoration of Tempe. We are a multi-congregation church, and our service times at our Tempe location are 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. To learn more about us or to get plugged into the life of the church by tapping the connect button on our app, we would love to hear any feedback or questions you have. Please send them to Tempe Podcast at RedemptionAZ.com. Thank you for listening
2: and we'll catch you next week.